0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist Adam Roberts. Before we get to today's patient, I just want to let you know this is our last episode of 2021. I want to thank all of you for listening and for writing those nice reviews on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks with a whole new guest, a whole new roster of patients. That's January 3rd, so um, enjoy your holidays. Um, but I have an episode for you here. My patient today is Luke Volger. He's the author of five cookbooks, including Bowl and Start Simple 11 Everyday Ingredients for Countless Weeknight Meals. He's also the co founder of Jari Magazine, which won a James Beard Award in 2016 for John Birdsall's essay Straight Up Passing The State of Queer Chefs in America. Um, in today's episode, Lucas talks to us all about working at a bakery right out of college. So the ba-
1: the muffins were all like the same batter, but then you'd like use an ice cream scoop and put like one thing of batter and then like blueberries. And then the next one was like walnuts and brown sugar, streusel and so you know, So like those were all the muffins.
0: His mother's love of recipes.
1: Her colleagues at work or friends would like come over with the recipe cards and then like rip in, you know, Xeroxing
0: things and keep them in this file folder and getting stressed out by social media. And
1: then I like see the metrics. I'm like, oh my God, 1200 people looked at this stupid video of me, like explain like, I, like, I, I kind of can't handle that.
0: So without further ado, here is my lunch therapy session with Lucas Volger. Uh, well, Lucas, it's so nice to have you on lunch therapy. How's everything going? Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good.
1: Yeah, great. We have a nice sunny day in New York. It's yeah, a nice Sunday
0: as well. <laughs> Just a right. chill day. Are you caught up in all the holiday craziness and cookies and turkey? Um,
1: a little. I and mean, We're leaving town in a week or less than a week on Friday. And so there's a little bit of like closing things out. And we're going to be gone for about a month. And so working through the fridge and all that planning for mail and all that stuff. But otherwise, no. I mean, this year I've been like, uh, we'll probably get into this a little bit through the conversation. But I've got on the site. Psych- Strange eating plan that it doesn't really have room for like cookies, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm just like salivating over um, Instagram and all the different like cookie packages and all uh-huh. the um, newspapers. So, but I'm not enjoying them myself or even cooking <laughs> them. <laughs> well,
0: That's your good. eating plans—I mean, your books tend tend towards the healthy, like you know, sort of clean eating. Um, and so, is that are cookies sort of something that you? Well, I actually I have a
1: crazy sweet tooth. Like I, oh, am okay. a, I I live in Greenpoint in Brooklyn and close to Ovenly Bakery, which you're probably familiar with. Yeah, but, or at least you know they're like amazing peanut butter cookie, and that is typically like a daily event. Um, and so this has been sort of like weeding that out and. We uh, it, it's yeah I don't I mean it's a boring conversation for like food <laughs> food. No, stuff.
0: I actually I disagree. I think people are very interested in what food writers really eat and what we do because honestly, like I personally don't know how to maintain like a healthy diet while also cooking delicious food while also you know trying to go to the gym. Like it feels like it's difficult to like make food that's enticing enough for people to be interested in it, but healthy enough for me not to gain 500 pounds by making it every night. So I think, I think people have yeah. like to hear that kind of stuff. Oh, um, yeah.
1: Well, I think I'm kind of like, my my slant has always been vegetables. And so that, which doesn't to say that it doesn't necessarily makes it like more healthy or anything, but, um, and then working within sort of like those types of restrictions and understanding that a lot of people who want to follow a vegetarian or a vegan diet are often thinking about other you know, cutting back on other, you know, whether it's wheat or uh, fat or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I actually really enjoy cooking within those types of restrictions because they force me to become creative. I also love like learning about traditions and like, you know, learning the right way to do things. Of course, like I, um, you know, I I eat all food, but when I'm like focusing on projects, I really enjoy having to eliminate bodies of food because I tend to like discover new things that way.
0: Yeah, I think, I think we've t- I've talked about this in the podcast with other food writers. It's almost like, you know, um, I always compare it to like writing a play where they say like write a scene where it's just two characters in an elevator who are trapped in there because it's easier when you have those restrictions to write a scene
1: than yeah, to just totally. like
0: write anything. Um, but I'm curious. So what are the current projects you have now? Do you have a, you have a new book out right now?
1: No, I'm working. I have one coming out next year. Um, okay. And so I'm in the sort of like final push on that. Um, reviewing it. the pages and stuff. Um, so that that's been occupying my last the past year or so, a little over a year. And then I'm also revising my first book, which was uh, about veggie burgers, and that oh, comes nice. out at the end of next year.
0: So how um, many books do you have right now?
1: This will be five.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And so do you? <laughs> do you still enjoy the process of writing cookbooks, or are you getting burnt out? <laughs> no, I love it.
1: It's uh, yeah, I would. I I wish it could fully support, <laughs> fully support me. I think it's really, i like the whole train. It's like, I always make the joke, the stove top to the laptop to the stove top to the laptop. Like I sort of seeing what happens on the stove and then documenting it in real time. And then, uh-huh. I don't know, it's just like, a, I like being on my feet. I like, it feels like really creative, but also very structured. So it kind of like works with, with my personality really well.
0: Well, it's funny because I, you know, I've been working on some cookbook stuff lately. We have the same agent. So, you yes. know, I, she was giving me some updates, but that's interesting. You talk about going from the stove to the laptop because I working on these. This is These are my first books of original recipes or the book that I just wrote is my first book of original recipes. The yes, one that the, I did before. The the, yeah, the Broadway one. And the one yeah. I did before that was um, me learning from chefs, which was all their recipes and adapting them. But. So like I do, I keep my laptop in the kitchen in this new process of mine, and um, and it's been funny. It's like yeah, as I tinker, like I run back over and type, but it, but it's sort of you don't want to be sewing so your own head that like you lose your instincts. But sometimes it's funny. Like I'll make something and like squirt some olive oil on it and sprinkle some salt on it. I'll be like, oh shoot, I didn't measure that or I didn't. I should have measured how much oh. olive oil I just added. You know, it's like I think those instincts as a cookbook author, you have to think about like writing down each little element, right?
1: Yeah, I think to an extent. I don't know. One of the things that's been really um, well, I think baking and cooking are set in terms of recipe development are it's a different sort of approach. Um, But like one of the things that has been so illuminating with me through working with recipe testers, like when I first started doing this, I would ask friends to recipe test for me and they would come back and say, oh, this was great. I used skim milk for the cream and <laughs> I just added some extra butter or like just kind of doing the working with it, what they had, which is how yeah. I cook at home too. So I sure. totally get it. But it was like, on the one hand, it's like, okay, so I don't really have a lot of helpful information about this particular recipe, but it is very illuminating to understand like how you're taking this thing and trying to like adapt it for what you've got in your kitchen. And uh-huh. that's probably what a lot of people are doing. And so I don't know, my recipes, which are skew more cooking than baking. I'm always trying to anticipate those types of mm-hmm. junctures that people come to, and and so if it's something like drizzling olive oil over as like a finishing oil or salt, or it's like I don't know. Do you think people are gonna like measure out a half teaspoon of melted salt, or <laughs> right. are, you know they're gonna sort of like use their judgment with these types of things?
0: Well, it's funny because Ina Garten is so precise on her show and in her recipes. It's like you know use one tablespoon of salt. Use the you know, and and I and I feel like she she really likes being very precise in her recipes which is why i think she's so successful because she's telling people exactly how to achieve the exact same result that she got but even on that in that world though like when she like i just watched an episode because i'm, I'm i just got hulu live so i can watch literally every oh. old Ina episode over 21 <laughs> seasons and <laughs> like an she, you know, she's like here's how to make perfect salmon she's like you know put it on a cookie sheet and put it in the oven for exactly 20 minutes but it's like okay like so that's precise but your filet of salmon like i've had pieces that are very thin and I've had pieces that are very thick and I guarantee you if you want to have a moist fillet of salmon you're actually better off taking the temperature and checking after 15 minutes you know it's like I think I think sometimes there's a tendency in cookbook writing to want to emphasize this like specificity of technique but in a weird way you can't be that specific because you have to be able to roll with the punches and and adapt yeah. to what you have so it's complicated
1: and also like i don't know i've had ovens that my 350 once i wouldn't calibrated it was actually like almost 400 or really? you know like you work with you know there's so many like vari- variables even when trying to be precise that way i don't know when i'm writing recipe i tried to like I'll give, I lead with like the visual or the sensory cue and then with like 16 to 20 minutes or blah, blah, blah. But like, and I always try to like put that caveat as many places as I can to just, It's really the only way that you can learn to like cook for yourself and sort of like wing it in the kitchen is by becoming super sensitive to what's happening to the food and ignoring like the
0: clock. <laughs> Totally. Um, okay. Well, Lucas, this is the moment where the therapy session begins. This is where I'm going to ask you about your lunch, and then we're going to delve into your psychology and see what we can learn about you. So okay. without further ado, what did you have for lunch today? Okay.
1: So I mentioned
0: um, we're, my husband, Vincent, and
1: I were on this bit of an eating plan. So it's two things, uh, an egg white frittata, <laughs> which was, uh, came, we it went to the farmer's market this morning and just like a really actually I was so totally skeptical of like using egg whites in place of eggs but it's actually delicious mm-hmm. and um the with broccoli rob and blistered some cherry tomatoes and what else is in there it's uh, some sweet potato and sweet, Wait, sweet potato, potato you said yeah just like okay. leftover roasted sweet potato um and then um I was making this other like a salad that was um, a recipe in my in my upcoming book that i wanted to try again which i don't know do you know yuba the tofu like the skins the yeah tofu skins i think i had and, that when
0: we went to japan Yeah. It's, it's oh yeah
1: best. and so and like hodo soy has this amazing package one the fresh yuba sheets and uh-huh. um you can just like slice them up and sort of treat them as like pasta and it's so there it was a salad of that with like charred um, brussels sprouts and um some cucumbers and celery and something else in there
0: oh shiitake mushrooms
1: wow with like That's a little not- bit of like a tahini soy sauce hot it was like served cold but like came together in the walk and it also gave me the chance to work on my walk which is kind of a new toy that I really really love
0: do you have that a walk like vi- I do have a walk yeah. yeah um well that sounds like a very elaborate lunch I mean was this was this is this typical or is this something that you did just um- today I think for a
1: Sunday it kind of is. I like to just kind of like hang out in the kitchen a
0: little bit. Uh-huh. So um, um so you, uh, so basically it was a um frittata with egg whites and like a salad y stir fry thing with cucumbers. So you stir-fried the cucumbers? No, I just added them at the end. At the well, end. That, that was, yeah. That took me by surprise because it's like I think of like Brussels sprouts and mushrooms as being like one category and cucumbers as being in another category. But yeah, I like that I, idea. I cooked, I
1: shredded the Brussels sprouts and then. Charred them in the wok and then Uh I cooked the shiitake mushrooms in the wok too until they got kind of crispy and then tossed in the sort of yuba noodles Mm -hmm. um, and then put that in the bowl, added the cucumber, the celery for crunch and then tossed it all together with that dressing.
0: Well usually in my lunch therapy sessions I listen to how people talk about the food that they've made for lunch to see if I can pick up something from the way they describe it or just the language they use but with you I'm actually very interested in the content of your lunch and like the what of your lunch because I want to know more about your childhood and the kind of food that you ate growing up that led you to this place of eating very healthy because my my guess is or healthy when I when I say healthy I mean like Fresh vegetables, like you know, things that you put a lot of care into, and farmers market. Um, I have a guess that it's you, you. either had a childhood where you had parents that cooked like this, or you grew up completely the opposite, like eating like sugar cereal and uh, ring things after school and fried um, chicken for dinner. Not
1: necessarily.
0: I I grew up in Idaho, um,
1: and in the eighties and early nineties. It was a lot of, you know, it was like sort of protein side dish, side dish. And my, like, I don't know, my mom would like bake pork chops or my dad would grill something. And then there'd be like those boxed scalloped potatoes on the side. And then like a bag Caesar salad and like a lot of that <laughs> type of stuff. Or like, yeah. when my parents were both working. We had a lot of like Costco meals that were reheated. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think yeah. it was a very like typical sort of like uh, suburban, yeah. um, suburban diet <laughs> for for the the heartland. And when you were um, getting
0: these Costco meals, I mean, had you already had an interest in sustainability and local foods and all that kind of stuff? I I'll got into, later
1: I um, well, I worked um, in high school at this bakery where um, I was brought on just to like make sandwiches, and then I got to help um, with the pastries. It was a bread bakery, but they had like a it was you know like cookies and scones and muffins, that kind of like breakfast pastries type stuff. Um, and I really, really enjoyed just the scale of it and. I'd always like enjoyed cooking and I always enjoyed cooking with my mom and I always loved her cookbooks or her food magazines and everything. And she sort of had like an Ina Garten awakening when Ina Garten hit the hit Boise, which is probably in like mid like, oh, like 97 98 somewhere around there i don't know when i feel like everything happened at boise like later than it happened everywhere else but uh-huh. i remember like Ina garden being this new chapter in our cooking where it's like sort of salt and pepper preparations and yes. like, fresh First garlic thing. rather yeah. than like the jarred garlic uh-huh. that's already minced and like those so there was sort of a shift then but like prior to that um it was you know like a lot of junior league cookbooks that my mom yeah. cooked from and then she would entertain um And that was always like pulling out, you know, it would be some kind of like London broil or and and these salads with like cranberries and like Mm -hmm. bacon, warm bacon dressing salads (laughs) and stuff. But um, when I worked in the bakery, it was called uh, Stone Mill Bread Bakery. They, um, I just really enjoyed this. I enjoyed getting my hands dirty and like, sort of like being able to do something over and over and over again to sort of like understand exactly how it works and exactly like what the sort of like um but it's uh, just sort of seeing like where are the opportunities to like improvise something or like mm-hmm. where you know the warmer days and the butter not staying cold enough or like where spices can be incorporated to like give it a different profile or like these muffins that we made you know it's like this wasn't like any kind of like fancy bakery Mm -hmm. but so the the muffins were all like the same batter but then you'd like use an ice cream scoop and put like one thing of batter and then like blueberries and then the next (laughs) one was like walnuts and brown sugar streusel and so you know so like those were all the muffins and then um i just really enjoyed that process and then in college um i went to willamette university for two years in oregon and that's where I started thinking more about the environment and I became vegetarian for the first time and um, was cooking more for myself than with my family. So I think that sort of signaled a shift and mm-hmm. a, more of a broader like political awakening and self-discovery. And I feel like that was where my current perspective on a food started to take shape.
0: Well, you bring up something interesting, which is the whole like when you talked about your family uh, or your mom like getting interested in Eindagarten? I do feel like there was a cultural shift altogether like across the country with like interest in food and like the appearance of the food network, but also then like top chef and like all these shows I because mean, I think um I think maybe I don't know how old you are, but like I, I'm certainly of this generation. I think we're kind of in the same generation ish. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I was born in
1: eighty
0: two. I'm seventy nine here, so yeah, I'm a little I older. Know. but um, I Yeah, I feel like food as a subject or food being interested in food and caring where your food came from, I feel like that really started happening um, in that time period, like in the late 90s, early 2000s. And now we're at a point where it's like omnipresent, you know, people yeah. are fascinated by food now in a way that, but the stuff that you described your mom making before all that, like the, you know, um, costco meals or whatever just like the kind of utilitarian food that you get on the table that feel like a previous generation too like you know canned food and yep. um, and e- you know easiness or, or ease is that the right word um you know, you know yeah i think so yeah like quick and easy quick and easy yeah. but people like i think convenience that's what i was trying to go for yeah like I think the previous generation, like baby boomer generation, wanted to be able to just throw dinner together and like you know it's like TV dinners and just like stick it in the oven and get it done. But then our generation, I think, got more interested in the details and and uh, working it through. So with you, I mean, was it sounds though like your family cooked a lot? You, you know, regardless of how they cooked, it's it sounds like you grew up in a home with a lot of cooking.
1: Yeah, we always. I mean, this is like sort of. Uh, Point of pride in my family is that we often had, we had dinner together most every night um and that was like i don't know that's something that really probably was a pretty formative experience for me and like enjoying the table and then understanding food to be this sort of anchor point of the day and also like this look this like site of special gatherings and like the food itself can sort of like create the cause for celebration or you know like a, um yeah i would say so yes um, we ate really well. We were like lucky to, you know, I, I, I know that I don't mean to disparage my mom's cooking with like the Costco food. Or no, the not at all. I don't think stuff, that's disparaging. It was, like, yeah, it was, it was just the, the culture of the time and yeah. exactly. it was. But it's kind of funny. I just wrote something about this for my book, the way um, she loved to, my mom loved to collect recipes and she uh-huh. would keep these like file folders full of them and just like the value of a recipe, like all these magazines she would read and her colleagues at work or friends would like come over with the recipe cards and then like ripping, you know, Xeroxing things and keeping this file folder. And, like It was such a like the, the value of the recipe itself. It was like, wow, you paid for this magazine, but then you got this free recipe in it mm. too. It's like a whole recipe. How cool is this?
0: That's um, I think that was because... also kind
1: of formative to me
0: yeah and it's interesting because ultimately you started a magazine too so yeah. <laughs> I, I think that must be some. if we're trying to get into your psychology there must have been something about how your mother viewed recipes and and magazines and the value of getting a recipe and that stayed with you to lead you down that path um yeah well, starting sure. one was, and it, yeah uh
1: well i was just gonna say first yeah i think that's probably true that um I did, I've always just seen like, well, specific to like recipes. I've always seen a lot of value in there if there's a printed recipe, it's something you can save and recreate for yourself, and it's like it seems really valuable and really fun. Um, in oh, terms of starting, oh, sorry, oh, go,
0: go ahead. No, no, no. What were you gonna say?
1: I was gonna switch over to like Jari Magazine, which yeah. in my mind had never been connected, but maybe it is connected.
0: <laughs> That's an I'm, 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 I'm grasping at straws here, but I, I feel I feel like that the way you described how your mom valued magazines and the recipes in them. It did make me, I think, I do think there must be a link there, the importance yeah. of it and the way that she viewed it. Um, but one thing I wanted to ask you, cause like, I feel like I I was also grasping at straws when I was trying to make a distinction between your cooking and your mother's cooking. But I, I wonder how you would describe the distinction between your cooking and your mother's cooking.
1: I think we're both just sort of like of our time. It's yeah. um, the, like, like you were saying that it certainly wasn't like as fashionable to shop at the farm stands and the farmer's markets back then, though now Boise has like this amazing farmer's market that, mm-hmm. you know, it was a place to be seen and a place to do your shopping and it's very trendy and, and all that. Um, yeah. I think it's just, she was, uh, her cooking was, yeah, it was exactly just kind of like of its time as what her friends were doing and like the way they shared recipes and like the, the way they talk about recipes, like, Oh, this is so easy. You won't even believe how like delicious it is. And it's like, the three can salad or it's like yeah. the you know the the brie wrapped in the frozen puff pastry sure, with the jam on course. top or like yeah. things like that that i mean i think that my when i talk to my friends who are sort of, of the same age it's like oh my god like right now the apples of the farmer's market are just so good and <laughs>
0: we, yeah it's you like know, same, sort of yeah. like geek out about it but it's the same same energy and same spirit totally i think that makes a lot of sense my my husband craig's um family is of that generation. They love to cook and they have like a gourmet group, but you know, it's like Craig's mom makes, um, lasagna with cottage cheese. Cause yeah. like, that's what was done, you know, and that in the seventies and like in, in the Midwest or wherever. Um, and you know, now like our generation, is like, Oh, we make our own ricotta with like, you know, yeah. you know, with like fresh, grass fed milk or whatever. And it's like a little pretentious. So, you know, totally. when we go and, and Craig and his sister like love their mother's lasagna. And I don't, it's not to say that like a cottage cheese lasagna isn't as good as a ricotta lasagna. It's just a generational thing, I think. So I mean, yeah, you know, totally. It's, like, it's
1: kind of ingenious to use cottage cheese when ricotta is a lot harder to find a med or at least like good ricotta. Yep. That, yeah.
0: So I'm curious, like, can you walk us through um, growing up in Boise, going to college and then starting your career as a food writer?
1: Yeah. uh, So I moved to New York. I was just about to, it'll be 20 years next year. And, um, I worked as a line cook, um, in college and a prep cook at this restaurant that that closed a while ago on the Upper East Side called Blue Grotto. Um, and that was, I just always, I really enjoyed that experience. I did that for, I think, two years and it was just fun. And I really, really enjoyed like the physicality of it. It was constantly learning things. And like, I was just very like, fertile moment of mm-hmm. uh, of like learning. And it was an incredible opportunity that I could just like work there three days a week. Whereas most of the cooks had to, you know, it was a different type of grind for them. But I was like, sort of like a special college student in the kitchen. Um, but it didn't seem um, for like the pay and the, <laughs> the hours and the conditions, it was like, it didn't actually seem viable as a career to cook. And so I worked um, my first jobs out of college were in book publishing. And I did mm-hmm. that for about 10 years. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and towards the end of that, I worked for a number of different publishers and in a number of different capacities. And for the longest time, like working on a small working at a small publisher called Atlas and Co. that they did like literary biographies. Um, but um in that time, I became friends with uh, this guy, Matthew Lohr, who's the publisher of The Experiment, which mm-hmm. is, um, they're now, I think, part of Workman, and at the time, he was starting his own publishing company, and he reached out to me know, asking if I knew anybody who could write a book about veggie burgers, and mm-hmm. I th- told him I'd think on it, and then I was like, you know what, I feel like I could actually do this. I've, like, made veggie burgers before, and then I just put together a book proposal really quickly and sent it over to him to see what he thought, and he thought it was good, and I was, I just really enjoyed that experience and didn't think I would ever get, you know, the best case scenario would be like, that I would get to like do it again, but mm. never did I have not worked in book publishing and like, you know, the way that so many books just like, they're just a blip in time and yeah. nothing comes of them. And probably like more books, like, I, I would say like 98% of the books published, like that's what happens to them. And like the other 2% are incredibly lucky and, yes. um, so I did not expect anything to come of it. And I didn't even really expect to be considered like an expert on veggie burgers after writing this book. In my mind, it was like this project that I sort of like did and I turned in and then I was going to like move on with my life, but it um, turned out to be a fairly successful book and um, has allowed me to continue doing this. And that's great. I mean, there's a million things that I would do differently. That's, that's, I, I just had the chance to go and revise all those recipes and revisit the book. And that was I mean, on the one hand, it was like, oh, wow, you like, you know, I've been talking about like, just, you know, people always complain about like having too many herbs and not knowing what to do with them when they have to like pile, excuse me, when they have to like pile, you know, recipes call for two tablespoons of chopped rosemary. And like, what am I supposed to do with rosemary? And even in my first book, I was writing about, well, just dry them in your toaster oven and then put them in a jar and you'll have dried rosemary. And in my mind, I'm like constantly like, saying it for the first time as if it's mm-hmm. like, this is the first time I'm telling people that you should like dry your herbs, but I've actually been doing it for the past, since my very first cookbook. <laughs> uh-huh, that's <laughs> funny. It's even so it's like it the really themes funny. were established in that first one.
0: Um, well, I'm, good, I'm thinking so. a lot about what you said about 97% of books. Cause it is funny. I mean, there's a little bit of delusion that you have to have to be able to be in this industry that like, this is the book that's going to set the world on fire. And this is, I mean, yeah. when I, when I did my first cookbook which is my only cookbook that I did so far, I was so convinced that it was going to be a worldwide phenomenon. Like I was ready basically to like have my own food network show and set the world on fire and retire and have a, have a yacht. And it's like, Oh wait, that's not what happens at all. (laughs) It's like,
1: I might've thought that too had I not been worked on the inside. It was that, that that's (laughs) what all the condition mean.
0: But you're right that like the ultimate reward, if, if you're lucky enough to write a cookbook and it's successful enough, you can get to keep doing it, which is a really wonderful thing to get to be able to write and, Absolutely. do your own recipes. I'm actually curious though, with you, you talked a lot about c- your cooking background, um, but I'm curious about the writing part of it. Were you always interested in writing and reading and all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, I studied literature in, through college with like a focus on like gender and sexuality studies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I've always enjoyed writing. I think that like writing cookbooks to me is very satisfying. It's like a little bit more like servicey recipe mm-hmm. writing is, yes. and then like creating like, you, i mean you write screenplays and you do much more creative writing than i typically do and that to me is like the it's so the blank page is just like so daunting whenever mm-hmm. i have to do something that's not a recipe that is really hard to overcome but with a cookbook i was like i create the table of contents i like mm-hmm. outline everything i structure what i need to do i put together like the ingredients that i want to focus on I just like create a whole game plan and then it yeah. just it almost feels like it's just project management it's not um it's it's not this like daunting like taking some concept into my mind and then just like regurgitating it wow. on the page. It's it feels like project management. It's very servicey, and I like servicey stuff. So
0: <laughs> totally, <laughs> so, I, I think that makes a lot we're... of sense. And so when you so if, I don't think I asked you. So the book that's about to come out, or you, can you say tell us what that is? Yeah, it's called Snacks for Dinner. Snacks um, for dinner. Okay,
1: and it's uh, sort of look at. I'm still working on like exactly what the elevator pitch will be. It's not going to be out till next spring, but okay. um, I mean, I have, it's all formulated in like a book proposal and everything, but how, conversationally how pitches, yeah, but yeah. it's um, I mean, I, th- I think the, the title is pretty self-explanatory. It's like sure. small bites, but like compile, you know, cut, they come together on a plate and, or a full dinner and kind of like I, I always love the idea, like in my book bowl is like, I think of it as like component oriented cooking where yes. you're kind of like taking these various things and like composing them together in a bowl. It's like it it's muffins
0: like... at the bakery where you had the blank muffins and then you had yeah, totally. little things. Yeah, <laughs> look so at It this. all comes <laughs> back, yeah. Yeah, but in um, the
1: snacks, so was, I guess it's like, in my mind, snacks for dinner is kind of like what I did with bowl, but on the plate. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's helping people just, I, in my mind, it's like, I, I know so many people, that don't cook and they're daunted by the idea of like to put together a full meal with you know three or four recipes it's like i have to do these things and there's these ingredients lists and then there's like all the times and then like having everything come out they just kind of like get burdened and overwhelmed by like the the minutiae of it Mm -hmm. and i'm always trying to encourage people just kind of like step back and see it in the macro that it's just like okay well yeah you can definitely pickle your own whatever pickle your own make your own pickled carrots or whatever and you'll have this sort of tangy thing or just buy one at the store or use other pickles you have in your fridge same thing with like making um salad like I, you know all the salads are pretty easy but if you don't have time just like pick that up at the market and, and it is like a, I, i'm I, I feel like i'm kind of like dumbing it down right now but i, I do think that people like overthink like week day-to-day weekday yeah. cooking um and that this is sort of been a similar service of um, trying to like strip it down and like see it in the macro.
0: Well, it's interesting because it makes me think of, I mean, speaking of like lunch therapy, like the idea of a cookbook author almost as a therapist who can like hold your hand a little bit or comfort you. I mean, I feel like that message of like, it's okay to use store-bought pickles is almost like a therapist saying it's okay to love yourself (laughs) or it's like, (laughs) it's like be be kind to yourself, you know, don't push yourself. Cause I think, I do think that these things play out for people that get so stressed out for me, like cooking well, is so much about your mental state. Like if you're in a, if you have a good mental state about it, like for me, it's like the way you described liking, liking to be in the kitchen on a Sunday. I totally share that. And like, so this morning I woke up, it's Sunday, by the way, if you're listening to this, we're recording this the day before it airs. Um, and I was like, I'm going to make muffins this morning. And like, I had cranberries in the freezer. Oh yeah, I saw that too. on Twitter,
1: yes. Yeah, yeah,
0: so I just like whipped together some muffins. But like, if I if it was the opposite, where I was like, I had company coming over and I was making muffins, I would have been really stressed out about it. But because it was just for me and for Craig, like I could just sort of relax and just sort of casually, you know, whisk it all together. And I don't know, I, th- I do think like your mentality... In going into the kitchen is so important in terms of the food that you make.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, and yeah, when I'm like overcaffeinated or in some kind of angsty mood, it's just like I feel like I. Not only is that when I'm like at the worst, you know highest risk of like cutting myself or like uh-huh. you know causing injury, but it's also it's kind of like you can feel it in the food. There's like agitation yeah. in the food. Um, yeah, totally. even, but when I'm like cooking for people too, I just like. I do think it's like, yes, there's like ways to do easy entertaining, no stress entertaining. But like the biggest part is just like planning it out and like making sure that you, you know, eliminate the things that eliminate the stressors that you can eliminate and Mm -hmm. try to enjoy the process.
0: So I'm curious with your recipe development when you're creating a recipe for a book or for something else. Um, how important is originality to you versus like the language that you're using? I mean, like, I guess maybe you can walk us through a recipe, um, maybe one that's already been published and how you came up with it and what the process was like. Yeah. Um,
1: it's, I wish it was like always the same. It's like, so like, so when I'm working on a book, I always, um, create sort of like I draft out my table of contents. I figure out what the structure is going to be. I usually, um, map out, I, I sort of like keep a a list of like, what are like the dominant ingredients here? What's the like seasonality Mm -hmm. or how can I like break it down so that there is seasonality in the recipes? Um, and then I oftentimes like draft out a recipe even before I cook it Mm -hmm. so that that way I just like have something to reference as I'm cooking. Mm -hmm. Um, and it'll change a lot. Um, I, and So, like, in when I'm in that stage, I'm trying to think of like uh, ways to keep um, what's going to feel both, you know, what what'll add the right amount of like diversity to the book in terms Mm -hmm. of like flavor profiles and like ingredients to highlight and vegetables to highlight, um, or even techniques and 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 things like that, Um, and then um, in terms of I don't know so like at that stage is really just trying to like survey the whole project and to make sure it feels like varied enough but also sort of like at home and in the scope mm-hmm. of, of of what i'm trying to like put together. Um, and then I take it into the kitchen and then revisit the document and sort of like go back and forth, usually a few times. Um, and make some tweaks sometimes it's a lot of tweaks sometimes it's not very many tweaks uh-huh. um and then arrive at like a recipe that I feel good about uh-huh. oftentimes I'll revisit it then like six months later or three months later or whatever and want to like change it further but I've also learned that like in my you know there there are like recipes that just even of mine and um with that I'm like this is how it's going to be always and then other recipes that's like even this like Salad that I made today. I was like, well, I'm going to try this with like a little bit of a, like a tahini miso maple mm-hmm. dressing thing rather than like the lime juice sesame oil one that I did in the book. And and there's like ways that I'm constantly like playing with it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Is that and then other times it'll be like the I just did this recipe on my website for like a butternut squash loaf with miso paste in mm-hmm. it. Yeah, And that was directly inspired by the Dory Greenspan, like Uh miso uh, maple loaf that she put in the New York Times magazine. And I was like, oh, my God, miso and a sweet loaf. It makes such perfect sense. And that would be like perfect in this. I have like a recipe for a sweet sesame sweet potato loaf and mm-hmm. my last book starts simple. I'm like, I'm gonna swap that for this roasted butternut squash cause I've already got the squash in my fridge. And I'm gonna mm-hmm. have the miso paste and I can just see it kind of working and then- Yeah, <laughs> no, that makes a know. lot of
0: sense. And it's, it feels very organic as opposed to like gimmicky. Cause I feel like a lot of people who want their recipes to stand out will do something outrageous. Like they'll be like, I know, I'm gonna put like, I don't know, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of the viral recipes that we read on the internet, like have some kind of big gimmicky thing to them or just something that that just sounds i can't think of one right now but you know i mean i used to do those myself but um but yours feel very grounded and just like based on like what's seasonal and what tastes good and and just unique enough that they feel special but they're they're not um crying out for attention i guess is maybe a good way to put it yeah i
1: try to you know i've always um I have a writing group and I like workshop, I always workshop like titles and subtitles with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm always wanting to like use the word sensible and sensible. I like, I come back yeah. to this word sensible and they're like, Lucas, that's like the mo- you sound like a librarian. This is like the <laughs> most boring word that you can put in the title of the cookbook. But I'm yeah. that's actually where that's, that's kind of like the the driving force behind a lot of my recipes. It's like, I don't think of even vegetarian cooking as like uh being like anti-meat or like anti you know it's it's not it's not much of a statement there it just actually feels sensible to me it's like Mm -hmm. vegetables are affordable and they're like they sort of like connect us to the environment and like the it's less of a carbon you know like most everybody i know would like to be eating more vegetables so there's something like servicey in that and um and then there's like a lesson to learn here about like butternut squash or carrots or whatever. I know it just feels like sensible (laughs) for lack of of a better word.
0: Well no that sounds like a really good word and and it makes me wonder about you and like your personality and because you seem like a sensible guy and do you feel like you're sensible in all areas of your life or are there areas where you're Little bit, plus librarian, like I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. I don't. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm not not a big risk
1: taker. I guess. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. That's interesting. I, I mean, don't
1: like to. I don't ask for attention that often.
0: But you did um, come out with this um, magazine and we should talk about it. So you have a magazine yeah. called Jari and it's not yes. a very it's not I would never describe it as like a staid, stiff, like sort of uptight magazine. It feels kind of loose and playful and um, sexy in certain ways, you know. And, and so I'm curious, like what led you to that and if, if it was a, if it was a sensible thing or if it felt riskier to you and um, and what that yeah. experience has been like.
1: I know. I just, I mean, as a captain, I do think my recipes are like fun and playful too. Oh, <laughs> of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to correct anybody
0: else's perceptions. No, They're no, not, no. Like, I don't think your boring, recipes are but... too sensible at all. No, they are fun. But yeah, tell us um, about the
1: magazine. Yeah, that was, so in 2015, um, we launched Jari Magazine, which is a queer, or the subtitle then was Men Plus Food Plus Men, and it changed to a queer food journal. And the idea was to like sort of, highlight and create like a food community in the queer community or a queer community in the food community or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, it would occur to me, it came to me as, um, an idea when, um, I read that, uh, God, who's that writer's name for New York magazine? Elizabeth is a Pressler. She wrote, she coined the term duty, like a dude foodie. Okay. This was from a while. This is probably like 2014 or something like that or 2015. Um, but uh, the, dude,
0: a dude, D- 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 like a,
1: a dude plus foodie. Oh,
0: oh. So okay. a dude. I was yeah. Unfortunately, that that reminds me of the word my parents used to use when I went to the bathroom. As a yeah, so that's <laughs> I said, why I was like. Yeah, it's better saying? to see it spelled out, probably. <laughs> okay but, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and and this is like it's a total satire, but she just like this characterizes the 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 dude foodie duty as a you know like sous their steaks and cooks like a 36 hour pig in the backyard but like doesn't know how to make a vinaigrette or it's like this the character of this you know it's a straight male sort of cooking enthusiast Um, and it made me like wonder I was like wow that's not actually like how I think of like all the gay men that I know who Uh are like passionate cooks like it's, it's a very, and it's like, it, it just came, kind of made me wonder about, like, what sorts of, like, as, as something to explore. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I you know, we were, of course, not, like, the first person to ever, like, explore, you know, wonder about the history and the sort of culture around, like, queer people in the kitchen, whether professionally or, you know, in, in food media and whatnot. But um, I... My co-founders Alex and Steve, I would sort of like met them and had floated the idea, and they were like, "Let's just do this," and did it through a Kickstarter. And I think we're winding it down. The but, but um, it uh, it was a really great run, and I think it arrived sort of at the right time when people yeah. were like ready to like start. You know, it was a right moment, I think, for, for the magazine to come out. And it won a James Beard
0: Award, right? Yeah, John Birdsall's
1: essay for us won a James Beard Award. Yeah, That's
0: amazing. That's a huge accomplishment. So, yeah, uh, and, I, and it's interesting because it feels like all your stuff that you do is sort of uh, those two things you talked about or like put working in publishing and working as a chef. And yes. uh, and like, and your whole career has been sort of like publishing and chef world. I mean, are, were there other areas that you were interested in and you thought you might have gone into or was it always these sort of circles that you always were?
1: Um, I think those those were the two that just felt like felt natural. It's kind of I was talking with his, my husband, business and he works um, for a bank and um, and. It's just such a, it's so alien to me that he does that. I'm like, I wouldn't even know where to be. I wouldn't even know what (laughs) jobs to apply for. I don't know what the skills are that you're supposed to have. Like, how do you, what are you supposed to study in college? Like, what is this? It's just such a like wild, foreign career life trajectory to me. Um, Whereas for me, I was like, okay, well, I like books. So I'm going to study literature and well, book publishing, kind of makes sense. And then she just kind of like gets sent down this one path. And I've been lucky to like have these, opportunities to kind of like branch out a little bit. But I think the food and and the and books and media and writing and editing have always just been things that felt like the right opportunities and the right or the right sort of like things to explore professionally.
0: And who are your influences in terms of food writers? Because with those two interests of literature and food, I'm sure you have your favorites.
1: Yeah. Well, I've always loved Lori Colwyn. Um,
0: mm-hmm. I've never was, read her. I need to read oh, her. Oh, you really Colwin. should. It's like, yeah. it's like
1: a quick, you know, it would be a really satisfying like day just to kind of like pour through her essays um, uh-huh. and they're short and it's really, it's a, it's a delight. Um, I also love uh, Martha Rose Shulman. She used mm-hmm. to have a column in the New York times. That was one of my favorites. I love the way that she sort of synthesizes this like perspective on health with like, she travels a lot and is very like, um the way she cites her influences and she's like you know trained and so very technique oriented and i i think that she that she did was everything so and nothing was ever gimmicky and nothing was ever like crying for attention or anything that's what you're talking about before it was just like so sort of like perfectly it's just uh i don't know elegant I, I loved the way that she i loved everything that she did um, i make her time. recipes all the time yeah i just me too
0: i swiss chard um like egg frittata tart thing that she had that was really delicious oh yeah so, and Martha then- Rose Shulman, so is it is it more her recipes that you admire or her writing
1: um well oh, I really like her recipes.
0: I think I, I yeah, I maybe more of her recipes
1: than her writing. Um mm-hmm. just because I don't Coleman. know her so much. Yeah. I like Laurie Coleman as a as a writer. I also really like Simon Hopkinskin. Oh, uh, he's great. I, I love those him. his books are really fun to read.
0: Yes. I mean to be honest,
1: I'm like now um I don't do a lot of food. I just read Crying in H Mart and I love that. I need um need to read that, yeah. But um, I don't read, I don't read a lot
0: of food writing anymore. <laughs> just, yeah, I don't blame you. I it. just kind of like
1: do it all day. And so it's like nice to just kind of like have a break and read something else.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think but. of the last food book that I read. I feel like I did read, my husband's reading Blood, Bones, and Butter now and he's enjoying Oh, I love that book. Um, did so you I'm read sure that? I, oh, yeah, I loved it. I think she's, yeah. she's probably my favorite living food writer. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm always
1: excited, but she has a new column out.
0: Um. So I'm curious. I want to know more about this aesthetic um, of your cuisine um, because we talked about it being sensible uh, and good for the environment. But in terms of pleasure, I mean, do you have your quote-unquote guilty pleasures? Like, you know, if you go to the movies, will you eat M and M's and popcorn? Like, are you <laughs> are you like are you consistent throughout everything in terms of the kinds of foods you eat, or does it shake? Do you shake it up every so often?
1: Um, I well, I definitely as i was saying, I totally ate, like love. I love baking and I love uh-huh. um, like sweets, so yeah, I'm like a Twizzlers person at movies, uh, and, okay, okay, um, got it,
0: yeah.
1: I just like really enjoy all all baked goods. Uh-huh. Um, I do think like I, I sort of like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I used to feel that it was um, if you're gonna like have dessert, you should just like have dessert. There's right. like just if if d- trying to like make. Um, you're kind of like depriving yourself of dessert if you're trying to like. Subjects I don't know. Something. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Um, But um, I don't know. I I still. Yeah. Whatever. I, I don't know. How well, like, to, will like, a, like, a like, will you
0: eat like uh, yeah. like a greasy cheeseburger? Like, will you eat? Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'll eat anything. Yeah. Okay. Got. Um.
1: It. Totally. And so enjoy it for sure.
0: So the books are are like that's that's like your. Your brand, so to speak, are like a little bit healthier, a little bit more natural focus. But in terms of your your actual day to day life, you'll you'll mix it up a little bit.
1: Well, I mean, my books are, they are kind of, that's how I eat by and large, but like, right. I, I don't know if I'm, when I go out to eat, when I'm over at people's houses, if we're like out traveling or whatever, I'm, I want to try everything. Right. I'm like, I'm a curious eater and, and excited. Are you a vegetarian
0: all the time? Like, do you? No, I'm not a
1: strict one anymore. It hasn't, it's been a little while. Um, I've gone back and forth, but mm-hmm. yeah, currently no.
0: So which, which of, of your um books, like, do you want to be like your legacy? I mean, do you have a book that you've written already that is like the one that you want to be known for? I'm really excited about
1: snacks for dinner. It was, okay. it's funny that it's like, it seems on the surface, like it could be a little bit gimmicky as a concept, but it's mm-hmm. ended up being um, what way more, I'm also not very personal in my cookbooks. I, as I said, I'd sort of enjoy ser- the servicey aspect of recipe mm-hmm. writing. And so I like focus on, you know, being of service, but um, in this book, I ended up just a lot of things, writing about a lot of the foods that I ate growing up, or writing about how um, my family, and my grandpa, my grandma influenced my, you know, sort of like excitement around food, and um, wrote. Have, there's a little essay in there about my mom, and uh, when Vista and I got married in um, last year, we had a little wedding party out in a park, and you know, of course, because of COVID times, and but I made snack boxes for everybody, and so oh, that. So nice being part of the book um so you it, guys yeah, got
0: married last year you said
1: yeah we got married like just like as like the gate was coming down on oh, anything no. it was kind of like we were, we had been planning to get married in the spring and then I was just uncertain as to what was going to happen and so we just rushed to to do it
0: rushed to the altar yeah uh, <laughs> and how's married life been
1: that's great it's been wonderful i, I um yeah I, it's just, uh, it's been wonderful to just like think um, sort, of, sort of strategically about our lives and like plan things together and like mm-hmm. to have, uh, you know, Vincent, he tested all of my recipes for this book wow. and I could like, st- I could be in the kitchen like watching everything that he was doing. And that was an incredible gift just to, because I must've been really annoying to have me hovering over his shoulder mm-hmm. while he was doing everything, but it was so helpful. And um, yeah, just generally it's been like a wonderful the nature of, or the way you can just have uh, this, it just like support of of yeah. all kinds. Of, and it's It's been amazing.
0: Well, I mean, I, I'm thinking, I'm latching on to the um, service-oriented nature of the way you describe your food writing, that it's of service. And you said that several times, and I'm curious, like, is that something like in your family, like or growing up in terms of your of your values that you grew up with? I mean, it, it, was that something that was instilled in you that, that your work should be of service as opposed to, I guess, the opposite of that would be like selfish? Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is that, what, what is that? How does that resonate for you? Or where do you think that comes from?
1: Um, I don't know if like being of service in that sense didn't, has, or it certainly hasn't occurred to me. I think part of it is just this like respect for the recipe and like the recipe itself. You know, there's really kind of like a pact between the, you know, there's a lot of trust from the home cook's perspective that like, this is a recipe, therefore it should work. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be worth the cost of the ingredients and the investment of my time and like, I'm feeding people and so there's a lot riding on it. And it's just like that sort of uh, anything that might compromise that trust is kind of bad in my you know so like that's the service that I'm I it, that's the that's what I'm talking about with yeah. being a service is like but you being, want to give
0: value to people you want them to have that's give them something of value that they can use in their lives yes exactly and I,
1: I teach classes fairly well not so much uh, recently but I usually teach classes and it's always people who are like wanting to like just eat more vegetables you know it's rarely vegans and vegetarians that attend the classes. It's people who are, you know, retired or, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, you know, empty nesters. And they're like, we, my doctor says I need more vegetables. They just Mm -hmm. don't know what to do. And I just think it was like, okay, here, let me just like, and, and their their minds, they're like, I'm going to have to go like full tofurky or whatever. It's like, uh, it's going to have to, this whole, like, they're going to need to just uh, upend their, their entire lives around eating vegetables. And it's very daunting. And then sort of being of service here is be like, okay, well, you already probably have a number of vegetarian dishes that you already know and like. Mm-hmm. So let's like start there and then let let me give you some ideas for like how to build on that. And then soon enough, you know, that's that's how you
0: yeah. <laughs> that's how I could be of service. <laughs> yeah, of course. But it also makes me think a little bit about of the idea of pleasure because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think of pun of vegetables as punishment in a way or like I'm sure yeah like a homework. And I think it's also of service to people to show them that there's like pleasure to be had. In cooking vegetables and that it doesn't have to be torturous or, you know, it's funny because like Craig grew up with like frozen broccoli and he hated broccoli. And then, when, yeah. and then because of Ina Garden, I learned to roast broccoli in the oven and he loves that. And he thinks it tastes like a French fry or something. And it's like, and that's what that, that was my mom with the Brussels sprouts. Yes. Roasting. Like, yeah. And Ina specifically. <laughs> oh yeah. She, she changed the game. I think with those roasted vegetables. Um, But it's, yeah, it's funny. It's like, but I think people hear the word broccoli and they go, but it's like, it's not so much about the vegetable. It's more about the technique that you can apply to it to make it better or more yeah totally um well i feel like you know we're running almost out of time so i feel like we covered a lot of ground but i'm still kind of want to like dig a little deeper and see like okay so like i feel like you're of service um you're sensible but like what what are the what's, what's the darkest, darker darker <laughs> side a... of lucas Volger? like wait know, like what what are the what are the things about yourself that like People would be surprised to hear about or like you want to work on but like maybe oh, like, like are um, you cruel to animals are you do you, shop, <laughs> do you shoplift um are you a streaker um
1: no not yet <laughs> uh what i mean what what is something um i love karaoke i like crew I, I don't know what was something that i can that's yeah, good. Make me not just sound like sensible and servicey.
0: <laughs> no, um, I mean, by the way, those are great things to be. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I just want to know, like, if like somebody was tracking you with a camera all day, like, what would we discover that we wouldn't have known, oh, or been surprised? I don't know. Anything? I
1: mute everybody on social media. I like, really? Well, pretty much. I don't know. I just find like I love people. Like, I find I the number of because ex- I've been like, I uh, I've been on the internet for you know probably as long as you have. You your blog was like two 2000- thousand. Five, four? Yeah, four, two
0: thousand six, thousand six two thousand. no, sorry, two thousand four two
1: thousand four. Sorry. Okay, and then so I was doing like blog spots and Tumblr yeah. and like all you know, and the number of times that I like have like created such an idea of who a person is based on their like internet persona, and then come to meet them in real life and find that it's to be somebody totally different, usually for the better. Yes. As I just, it's like this, as this prism for like connecting with people, it, I really, really just and the number of people that I also like find completely insufferable on the internet and then find <laughs> to be like incredibly <laughs> lovely people in real life. I'm like, it's, I think it's better for me just to like find the opportunities to get to know people better and not have to engage i yeah i I feel like my time on the internet is starting to run out (laughs)
0: that's That's really interesting though because i think that um, we all like struggle with that i think in terms of being food writers and food quote-unquote like personalities, like where you have to have a brand and you're you're encouraged to have a twitter and encouraged to have an instagram and it's like but at the same time it's like you know as if any of these things are even easy
1: also it's like yeah it's like it's a full-time you know it's not just like passively having these things you have to like create content for like specific for all these different channels and
0: and i think for some people like for me like i'm such like a attention whore like that it comes very natural to me to like just put my phone on and just like take a picture of like the. oh really i mean i just just, it's it's not taxing for me to use instagram specifically instagram stories just like if i'm hovering over the stove and like a soup is bubbling away i'll just like take a little video of it and post it and like see how many people looked at it. You know, it's just like, it's a little thrill, but I can do not, when you have those metrics,
1: is it, do you not find it to be like, see if I, when I do that and then I like see the metrics, I'm like, Oh my God. Twelve hundred people looked at this stupid video of me, like explain, like I, it's like I, I kind of can't handle <laughs> yeah. that I would, I would rather just like not have any insight into like what the engagement is or what people are doing. But like, I don't study that stuff. No, okay. I mean
0: I've never studied it, which is probably why I've, I've never like blown up in the way that some people really blow up on social media. I just do it for pleasure. Um, and okay, as, as long as I do that. I mean, with Twitter, it's much more dangerous and like treacherous because it's like. That I also try to do for pleasure, but I'll just like tweet something like haphazardly or just sort of carelessly, and then on like twenty minutes later I'll come back and be like, "Who do you think you are doing it?" And it's like, "Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to yeah. you know, push that button." Um, so with I Twitter I, I find a little more daunting and stressful, and frankly, like if I could get off of there, I would because I do, I think it takes away. It's like more detrimental than it is beneficial, ultimately, to my well being. Absolutely. Um, Instagram I I enjoy Instagram. I think I I think I have a good balance there. Um, but it's interesting for you. So, so your dark side involves karaoke and muting people on, on social media. <laughs> What's your karaoke yeah, so, song? What are you saying? Um, well, share is kind of like right in my range. And uh-huh.
1: I enjoy that. I enjoy all those like eighties anthems. I think eighties is like a great time for karaoke
0: songs. So like if I could turn back time is
1: Oh yeah. That's like nice. a, that's a good one. Reba McIntyre, Fancy is one of oh, my, like, yeah. always makes people happy. Um, um that's a great one. Yeah, uh, I think those, those are like the, those are
0: top two. I always think mine, is, my karaoke song is Midnight Train to Georgia. Oh, um, yeah. But it's not, like it's not in my range at all. And I don't know why <laughs> I, I think that it is. Craig's is Waterfalls by TLC. And he oh. has the whole rap memorized. So he can okay. really do it. Uh, That's always a, yeah. <laughs> well, steals Lucas, the show. Um, every podcast begins with what did you have for lunch, but it ends with what are you having for dinner tonight? Oh, tonight
1: we are doing, a going to a holiday party at one of my favorite restaurants in the city called Shuka. Um, okay. I don't think I know that restaurant, no. Oh, it's um, Aisha, I'm blanking on her last name, she's the chef. It's like sort of broadly Middle Eastern um, mm-hmm. and really, really good. She just opened another restaurant called Shuket that got a great review in the New York Times and um, she's awesome and the restaurant is awesome, um, they had this like, you uh, halloumi cheese that's like lightly battered in these big old you know and it's like really soft and creamy it's so good Mm. um and then a bunch of like dips and flatbreads and kebabs and all that
0: and are you going with a large group of friends for like a holiday event or is yeah there's six of us Nice. And so I'm curious, like this is an interesting personality question because, you know, Ben Mims very well. Yeah. And we just went to dinner with him and his partner Jay uh, at AOC in L.A., one of the restaurants here. And I feel like there's something fascinating about negotiating a menu, like how the different personalities like like, you know, all kind of the way that people kind of try to get what they want out there but you have to kind of say well i'm not really into that like jay ben's partner doesn't like red meat but i asked like i said we should get the hanger steak but i forgot that he doesn't like red meat and then he didn't say anything but then later ben was like oh jay doesn't eat red meat and that's why i felt bad but like how are you all that kind of stuff do you take a passive role or a a more active role
1: i feel like this is like going back to the uh my nature which is i just try to like I can accommodate whatever, you know, like let everybody get their strong opinions or strong preferences out and then I'll just go with whatever. But generally I'm like not a big, yeah, Shuka is kind of an exception. I'm not a big share plates person. I would yeah, much rather I. just kind of like have my own thing and eat that way.
0: And if you're at a restaurant um, that has like a vegetarian entree and then like a fish entree and, or a poultry entree or a meat entree, like where will you, will you mostly gravitate to the vegetarian entree? If it sounds
1: good, yeah. when I'm eating out, I try to just like, whatever sounds the most delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't, um, I don't try. I, I'm not too uh, strict about anything then.
0: As a final question, I want to ask you, and this is kind of gross, but since we talked about duty, I feel like it's okay. <laughs> but like eating very healthy, I've discovered, and this is strange, and I want to know what you think about this, but like, in terms of like, how food feels inside of me when I eat it, I actually find if I eat like a burger or pizza or a bagel, I feel great. And if I eat like a bowl of beans with like cruciferous vegetables in there and like raw, I I, I just feel like very gassy, very like, I just feel that food going through me more. And I'm curious, like how, I guess as a cookbook author, when you're cooking with all these vegetables, I mean, does it get uncomfortable or is that, or do you feel better eating vegetables? Um, I
1: generally feel better eating vegetables. That said right now I'm eating probably like more meat just in terms of like lean protein
0: than I normally do. What is this diet? You have to just tell us this diet. Oh, it's just like your diet. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's, uh, it's not, it's like nothing special. It's just like tracking things and like tracking my macros and trying to stay within a certain like calorie range. It's really like incredibly unsexy, (laughs) but, um, you seem like you're
0: ashamed of this diet.
1: No, I just feel it's kind of embarrassing when you talk to like food people. I feel like you can't talk about even diets are like kind of no, diet people want
0: to know this stuff. I mean, I, I promise you that if there's anything people are latching onto here, it's like they want to know what Lucas's diet is like.
1: Okay, well, it's I I have a calorie sort of goal each day and then my it's like protein goals and then like carbs and fats but is and, the overall
0: goal to lose weight or is it to get more muscle? yeah or? i had so like two a
1: couple of years ago i broke my ankle really badly and i was like laid up in bed first oh, it felt like it was probably only like six weeks when i was really like laid up in bed but then it took like a year basically to be back to normal oh wow and my metabolism completely changed and I'm turning 40 next year. And it just like, it used to be that like, I could just kind of like do anything and eat anything and yeah. drink anything and it'd be fine. And like, that's not really the case anymore. And then mm-hmm. I feel like the pandemic has kind of caught up with me. And sure. it just both Vincent and I were mm-hmm. like, we really just like need to do something. And so this is getting our drinking back under control. And this is kind of like, it's good to just kind of like restructure our meals. That, that's all. But I was going to say though, with like, I love beans and I eat beans. And I'm a bean yeah. club member and all that but it's still i still am like bloated and gassy every time i eat beans it yeah. never goes away it's just Amazing like the and so I, I feel like the just do beans or get gas or like yeah. plan plan for beans
0: because i love i love cooking beans because like i love how cheap they are generally i mean i use rancho gordo which is a little more expensive but still yeah. compared to like buying like a whole thing of steak or like you know Chicken. Um, well, Lucas, this was a delight. I really enjoyed talking to you, and thank you for taking the time out of your Sunday to. Lynch yeah, therapy. thank you very
1: much. I'm, I'm I'm honored to be on your podcast on Lunch Therapy.
0: Well, um, let us know when your new book comes out next year. And in the meantime, if you're ever in LA, look me up. Okay. Yes, we'll do. All right. All right. I'll talk to All you right. soon. Bye. Bye.